welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> all right, welcome back, everyone. You are back with myself, Dean, and my lovely partner in crime and in life, Lizzie, and we are joined by the famous now, Mr. Broderick Chavez, the evil genius from Team Evil GSP. Hey, go, mate. Good. I, uh, I really don't think of myself as famous, but I have to say, whatever little bit of fame I have literally can be laid on your shoulders, because if it were not for the two of you, I literally would never have gotten off my ass and left this, uh, this seat. So um, you, you guys, um, you know, despite we haven't done anything really officially since then, you guys launched this ship quite, quite literally. And I oh, do, thank uh, you, Broderick. I do remember that and appreciate it deeply. Mm. Well, for listeners who don't know what Broderick's talking about, we um, brought him over to Australia and did a nude photo shoot with him. <laughs> and it was his nudes that went viral. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> not really. There was the evil genius down under too. Maybe there was a nude photo shoot that I'm not aware of as well. It's possible with someone like Rawdon in play as well, because obviously <laughs> we teamed up with the crew there from under the bar. And if you've ever listened to their podcast, they're a uh, cheeky couple of blokes. They are. And uh, we brought Broderick to Sydney and Brisbane to share with his brain gains to the wonderful audience of Australia. And how did you find that experience, Broderick? It was amazing for many reasons. One, I love what I do. And unbeknownst to me at the time, Australia's really, really has a deep and excellent fitness and strength and power culture. So it was a match made in heaven, quite obviously, you wouldn't have went to the trouble of dragging me around the globe. Were, did you not think that? But um, on top of that, Australia is wonderful. I mean, I don't want to, you know, irrationally kiss anyone's ass, but I live in the U.S. I love and appreciate the U.S. Uh, probably wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But the shortcomings of being here is it's hectic. It's crazy. There's a lot going on. There's a, literally millions and millions of people. Australia is just nice. It's just, just a, it's a little bit warmer, a little bit slower, a little bit less populated, a little more time to think and enjoy the coffee. And it was, um, it was really um, on a national scale, a wonderful, and then on a, you know, a, a local and personal scale. I mean, what can I say? I mean, you guys, you know, let me into your home, let me play with your dog and drink all your coffee. So <laughs> the hospitality was outrageous. I can't, there's nothing I can say. My God, you drink a lot of coffee, yeah. I must say. I think, I think you got through about 500 grams of beans in five days at the house. It was, <laughs> it was something along those lines. That's not even a record, but, it was one, but, but I must confess, it was really good coffee. Yeah. Was really, really sexy. I believe Sumatran and um, Ethiopian were really sexy. I was getting up in the middle of the night sneaking. Yeah. <laughs> Are you one of those guys that can like swirl and sniff? Mm, I can sense a hint of nutmeg and raspberries. You one of those? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes I don't even have to take my clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get up in it. You know, it's funny, like, um, I remember when we first started doing consults and you said to me when, when this, the, the beginnings of the Evil Genius Down Under started to um, begin. Percolate. Like, I, don't, I don't know if these Australian people are going to like me. And I'm like... No, no, no. I think your personality is actually going to fit in very well here. Um, and then I, I think I also said to you, you may dislike us after this because I get a feeling you're going to get busy. 
And it seems to be that in the last two years, one, you've loved Australia because you've been back now two or three times. And I think you're coming back yeah. again in March again for the, uh, the Arnolds, which is super cool. And you're a busy man now. That's absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. And, um, and, you know, to dovetail all that together, you were absolutely right. I can't, you know, I can't, uh, can't beg off on that. But not only that, because you guys are actually on the moon or wherever Australia actually is, it, um, it suits my insomnia perfectly. So it's always the middle of the night. I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> That's, That's perfect. True. That's so perfect. The reason, Broderick, we love talking to you and bringing you over to Australia and all of the above is because there's so many blow asses out there, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term, that just talk dribble out their butts and don't really know what they're talking about. Um, you clearly do, but I love the way that you explain really complicated things in a simple way and use metaphors to string it all together. So that's something that I'm hoping we can do today on this podcast, kind of get some complicated concepts that people are confused about and just use some sort of pithy metaphor uh, to, to help people understand. I was hoping he was just going to tell us where the greatest drug guy is in the world, <coughs> Jamaica, and then give us all the insights into the cheating scandals like Harris. <laughs> So, uh, Roger, that's, a, that's a topic we could do that before we get into that <laughs> maybe, maybe you can it. tell people why you know that what do you do uh and who are you yes explain yourself um well i i i don't want to show my uh underlying adolescence despite despite the gray and the beard but I, I don't have a clue who i am at least not on the not on that level but um <laughs> what i am is a post-competitive strength bodybuilder and strength athlete um, been in this in this genre literally since day one. Uh, took up lifting weights in a commercial gym around age ten, and just by a combination of providence and hard work and good luck, I've been neck deep in the higher tier side of the sport since essentially since day one. Uh, first day at a commercial gym around very good and coincidentally pharmacologically enhanced Olympic lifters, moved through those ranks, moved on, competed in bodybuilding, was exposed to uh, Tom Platts, Dr. Fred Hadfield, Dan Duchesne, the original drug guy, um, moved kind of through those ranks, went on to university, all the while competing, getting reasonably good acumen in sports myself. But um, interestingly, as passionate as I was, and even still am about strength training, my real skill set you know, was obviously, at least to me, um, the intellectual side, and that lent itself very well to the coaching side. So essentially, since day one, I've been involved in strength sports. Very luckily, the open side of the drug world associated with that, pursued a degree in biology and in chemistry, used that to then further my escapades in sports and drugs. And now I'm, I, I really, really hate the word guru because I, I just think more about douchebaggery than actual athletics when I hear that term. But I, I, I guess to a degree I fall in that category. I coach, consult, and work with, problem solve, Olympic caliber athletes, UFC athletes, professional boxers, uh, bodybuilders that have worked all, you moved all the way to the Olympia stage. Just that high tier not a, I'm not a hand holder. I don't train people. Um, ideally, I want to deal with somebody that knows their shit and just has one little sticking point. They have a, they have a thing, and together we you know, kind of brainstorm, work, work through it, and just kind of, like I said, problem solve. That's mm -hmm. more what I think of myself at this point. 
Yeah, cool. And uh, people come to you for various reasons, but one of those reasons being that you are the drug guy and you have your hand heavily in the pot of pharmaceuticals. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, it is fairly taboo, uh, the old steroids, isn't it? <laughs> but not with Broderick. Broderick talks very openly and freely about it uh, and we'll be discussing that today. Yeah. I think the really cool Fair thing enough. You broads, as you always have the uh, ability to draw both from the biology, biological side of things and then to sort of intertwine it with the pharmacological, which um, I actually put a post up on my story the other day for Instagram. And the question was, if you were a powerlifter, would you preference carbohydrates or fats uh, from a macronutrient point of view? Assuming that I'm talking about performance and manipulating the powerlifter as a strength athlete. And it prompted me to think that I thought I might open that up to you, see what your preference might be and why. And then depending on the why, talk about mechanistically why we may choose one macro over the other for a strength athlete, even though they may not be an anaerobic athlete. Absolutely. Um, there's where I think people get a little too snowflakey. They get a little too, I am this, I'm a bodybuilder, I'm a powerlifter, I'm a crossfitter. Y yeah, you are. As stupid as some of those things may actually be, yes, you could fucking be that. Fine. But if you pull the lens back, which is something I really, really recommend people do, you pull the lens back and you go, well, I'm a, a variety of strength athlete, whether it's bodybuilder, powerlifter, crossfitter, keep naming things. The, and though I don't really think bodybuilders are strength athletes, they lift weights for a living. So there's, you know, there's strength involved. So, and you keep pulling the lens back. And you realize that there's always a layer above. There's just general strength athlete. There's just general athlete. Keep moving the lens back. Well, there's a fucking human being. So we start at the top, the broadest, widest lens picture. And that's, well, human. Humans, it turned out, run almost exclusively on something called ATP, adenosine triphosphate. We could talk about what, what and why if you like, but momentarily just believe me, okay? Of the three macronutrients, the easiest for your body to process into ATP happens to be carbohydrates. So if you are a human, your primary preference for fuel is in fact carbohydrates. How much fats and amino acids you need are mostly a function, mostly I said, a function of your mass, your size. Now, coincidentally, as you move back in that micro lens and go from human to athlete to strength athlete to powerlifter, mass does in fact change with that change of lens. So you typically are moving up the lean mass scale. So body weights are getting bigger. So yes, protein requirements and fat requirements are seemingly going up, but they're going up predicated on a niche position within your biology, not becoming some new species that suddenly runs on helium or something. It's still the same three macronutrients. It's still predicated on human biology and lean mass. And then carbohydrates largely are a combination of lean mass and activity. Yeah. The uh, argument I typically use is fundamentally the engine under the hood in a faggoty little Prius or a dump truck is essentially the same thing work exactly the same way, you know, internal combustion, pistons, spinning things. They're almost identical. The difference is because a Prius has very, very low mass and does relatively little work, it doesn't use a lot of fuel. 
whereas a dump truck gets horrific gas mileage, if you will. But it's not because it's a poor design. It's because it's a giant design. It has made itself really large and strong. So what I'm getting at here is the rules of biology for humans apply across the board. Now, as you move in and out of a niche, in this case, powerlifting, it's still a preference for carbohydrates always, but activity's not enormous. Body weight is enormous because of body weight being enormous. We do the two grams per kilogram in nitrogen. It's a lot more than the housewife or the, you know, the, the, the soccer mom or what have you, but it's still essentially medically or biologically the same numbers just mm -hmm. scale for mass and activity. Yeah, cool. That example of the small car versus the big car is one of the cool metaphors that I was hoping you were going to drop today. Not that one specifically, but just metaphors that make things really clear. Um, so thanks for that. And the answer to that question, Dean, is carbohydrates, but not because you're a power lifter or because you're a bodybuilder, but the answer is because you're a human being that prefers carbohydrates. 100%. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, you say, oh, well, you know, Dean in the off season, you know, at his biggest and most muscular, oh my God, he ate, you know, 700 grams of carbohydrates. And it's not because he's a snowflake. It's because he was hyper muscular doing obscene volumes of weight training and growing. All of those things required vast amounts of energy. Mm -hmm. The opposite is, you know, Dean at his, you know, smallest and dare I say laziest, <laughs> Dean only needs... 400 grams of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. There's no magic there. It's just what it is. You can own a dump truck, and if it sits in your driveway, it gets excellent gas mileage. Mm -hmm. Take that fucker around the block, and you burn up some fuel. That's how it works. There's no surprises there whatsoever. How would you respond then to Poliquin? Well, um, I think I, I think before we get to that, I've got a, a, I found a little funny tidbit from somebody who had been told something from Poliquin and why you may want to shift to fats for a powerlifter, but I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. Because okay. I think it will poke you quite well. Um, <laughs> it's pretty but, easy to poke the bear here. But I suppose, <laughs> yeah, where I was coming from and that, like I obviously have a, uh, a preference for carbohydrates primarily in almost all of the people that I work with, whether they be bodybuilding in a contest prep getting lean or in a powerlifter trying to maximize strength. And it's mainly predicated on the fact that one, carbohydrates are going to drive performance. Two, they're the primary fuel source, like you said. But also I think mechanistically we could try and uh, explain to the people like, what having a maximum storage of glycogen may be beneficial for from a performance point of view, things like protein synthesis, you know, reference to cross-sectional area of muscle tissue for strength. And I think a lot of people miss that sort of uh, approach to carbohydrates. Yeah, quite honestly, I mean, and I'm, I'm completely happy to talk about it and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir because you and I have had conversations about this both, you know, professionally, casually, and over a big ass bowl of rice at your, you know, uh, uh, what was it? Um, what did we discover? My wife had never had a Thai food. Was it Thai? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, I think right. we had Thai curry at your at your kitchen uh, counter, and yeah. we were, I think, talking about this very topic. So it, it, you know, I'm preaching to the choir, but honestly, I put all of those things, with, with the exception of one, I put all of those things under the heading of. A machine has the best opportunity to operate when it's properly fueled. Mm. You know, if you take said dump truck out of the driveway with only a half a tank of gas, you're obviously only going to get halfway there. It's got a half a tank of gas. Being sufficiently fueled guarantees you can eke out the maximum amount of work. Work very roughly equates to progress. There you have it, in a, in a general sense. Now, in a more specific sense, you are, of course, right in that 
cross-sectional area affects loads of things besides just looking good in your underwear. It changes leverage, which has big impacts on how much you can lift. It has impacts on overall hydration, which can be how injury resistant you are while doing said lifting. And then also, of course, that fuel reserve locally so that it can power those additional reps, that proximity to failure or extra sets or whatever. And then secondly, it also is um, something that doesn't really an analogize very well to the whole dump truck thing. But for instance, you take the dump truck out of the, out of the, out of the uh, driveway with a limited amount of fuel. When it runs out of fuel, it just stops. You, there's no option. However, with a human body or literally pretty much any living creature, there's redundancies. The dump truck can then begin to met metabolize whatever's in the, in the dumper, what it's carrying. You know, you have something in the back of the truck. It's why you owned a big truck. In the case of said powerlifter, it's muscle, unfortunately. The body can then begin to liberate some of the stored energy that's in muscle to continue powering activity. The body always prefers getting the job done and not dying over, you know, giving up some body weight, giving up some energy, whatever. So essentially keeping that gas tank full largely prevents you from dipping into unintended reserves of fuels or substrates. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then the last one, and this probably isn't where you were going to go with this, but I'll, I'll just, I'll just gloss on it because I'm the drug guy and I can't resist. <laughs> People love to love hormones and to some degree, rightly so. Although, you know, Natural people, the, you know, if they all stood and all of them got in the same room, their hormones probably wouldn't fill up this fucking drinking glass. But whatever, fine. <laughs> they could be as natural as they want to be. My point is this. Of the three macronutrients, largely speaking, fat, you can eat it to your heart's content, and it has no proximal influence on hormones. Nothing happens. There's no response. Protein, there's a minor insulogenic response. Minor, I said. It's not large, but it is real. Despite Menno Henselman's yammerings to the contrary, it's not large. There's fucking dietetic studies that, you know, targeted toward diabetics that show that over and over and over. But nonetheless, there's a minor response. And then this last final macronutrient, carbohydrates, there's a vast insulinogenic response. So of the three, you have none, very little, rather a lot. Okay. So we can pretty much agree on that. A hundred years of studying biology, studying diabetics, studying nutrition, pretty much I think all people can agree on that vaguely. So now we have a second thought. Athletes are now using insulin to further their athletic goals. So something about insulin, and we could talk about it, or we can just go on the something. Something about insulin helps athletic endeavors. We have three food choices no insulin, a little insulin, a lot of insulin. How dumb would you have to be to fuck up that decision? <laughs> so true. Like seriously, if there was three lines and one was giving away a lot of money, one was giving away a little money, and one was giving away no money, which fucking line do you get in? It's not that goddamn difficult. Like seriously, there, there, are, there are Down syndrome people that could follow what I just said. I can think of plenty of people in my gym that cannot follow what you just said. <laughs> well, so. I see. I, I totally agree with you that it sounds very straightforward. We get it. But uh, 
yeah, common sense is in that common, uh, even when you break it down like that. But perhaps it's because there's you influencing them towards fucking what you're doing. And then there's all this pseudoscience around them. And so they've got this one good influence and all this one sound influence. And then all these other people talking bro science that, you know, have won a title or only because they've been coached effectively, uh, not because they fucking know what's going mm. on. So it could just be that there's just so much bad influence around and uh, there needs to be more Brodericks. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to respond to that. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, try, I'm, I'm doing my best to not go on opinion. I don't love opinion because I, I, I've been in the other side, like, I know what I'm talking about in this world, but there's other worlds. Like there's the world of finance, there's the world of you know, business accounting, whatever. Like, I don't know anything. So what I'm hearing, I'm just like, is that an opinion? Is that real? I don't know. So I understand how people can have trepidation, but I think what I'm saying is pretty well documented. Like you can ask of like, say a diabetic, what did they tell you to eat? Why? Well, they said, stay away from carbohydrates because those produce insulin. You know, they said migrate towards proteins because they produce less insulin. Well, if it's good enough to keep a sick person a fucking alive, it's probably ee, ballpark, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, ballpark, like fuck. Yeah. Doctors don't, you know, there's no conspiracy. Doctors are not actually trying to kill people. That is just fucking fantasy. <laughs> you know, so hmm. basically short version, humans run on carbohydrates, all things equal. You scale the carbohydrates to mass and activity. Bodybuilders and powerlifters happen to have more of those two things. They get more carbohydrates. Protein to fat is a function of body weight, so they get more, but they only get more predicated on their size, not more. They don't mm -hmm. have to eat protein around the clock or something, you know. And that's really about it. And um, as far as the Poliquin thing, I know I shouldn't be this fucking mean, but ain't he dead? <laughs> yeah, so Broderick, oh my God, he died, was it six months ago? No, it's like a long time now. Was it's like it? Probably yeah, it was like a year, year and a half ago or okay. something. But So he, I do not have He's only a little older than me and yeah, fuck him. He, people had really good things to say about him when he died and these big montages on Facebook. I do not personally have good things to say at all. No, I don't. I kept it to myself uh, only because I didn't think the backlash was really productive or worth it. Uh, but I'm, I'm totally with you there. I, in terms of strength and conditioning, he's got some good things to say. But with nutrition, he's really sent our industry back some decades and he can go fuck himself for that. Because mm -hmm. we work so hard to push the industry forward and somebody with so much influence... Uh, with their eye on their bank statement, quite clearly, just yeah, has, has not done one. Some of the things, some of the things he said were just insane. Like he he equated somehow insulin with aging. Like I, I don't, I, I for the life of me, I can't even grasp what the vague tenuous connection would be there. Like I don't, other than like maybe the longer you live, the more carbohydrates you have eaten. Like I don't, I don't even know, what, I don't even know what connection you can fucking make there. Like. I think any connection he makes is tied back to an expensive supplement that he yeah. sells. So li likely the connection. Or deer meat in Africa or wherever it was that he went and put on 50 pounds of muscle in five days by just changing his meat sauce. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's something in it. Yeah. yeah. I like to think that he's smart enough to know he's talking shit out his ass, but I I'm sure I, I've no I only had briefly met the man, but yeah, he's, He's, he's not stupid, so I have to assume that most of that was commercial douchebaggery. Yeah. Which makes it worse, yeah. to be perfectly honest. Did you want to ask the fat question? Well, yeah, the, the interesting thing <laughs> that came out of that topic was um, uh, an individual was told by him 
at a, at a seminar that you should preference fats or at least increasing dietary fats in the peak phase of a powerlifting uh, mesocycle going into a competition because fats will improve uh, neural effectiveness and strength. Well, it's funny because that's one of those things that has a kernel of truth but is completely misrepresented. There are studies that show in people that are in starvation mode, they are literally starved. You know, it used to be, uh, you know, Central Africa and East Africa was the place. There was always starving children in Ethiopia or wherever. And studies were done there. And they did show when fats fall below a given threshold, there's a certain amount of demyelination because the body, again, steals what it needs to prevent death. The sheathing on nerves is a fatty acid uh, arrangement. So there's like bones have a reservoir of calcium, for instance, nerves happen to be a reservoir of certain omega fatty acids. So in the extremis, your body will choose to not die and degrade nervous signaling. So it was shown that very nutritionally starved children did have degraded nervous system. It was shown that interjecting fatty acids into their diet improved neuroconductivity. That's accurate. That also in no way means that a normal, healthy, high-level athlete will get any additional benefit from any additional fat because they're not fucking starving. <laughs> it, it seems so obvious. Even um, if that, that fat comes in, in the form of a polyquin omega-3 fatty acid supplement? <laughs> well, again, I was just going to say, probably not a coincidence that somewhere in his pantheon of dipshittery, he was selling you know, macadamia oil or fucking squirrel oil or whatever the fuck that happened to have the solution to a problem that really didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, not to say again, and I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to throw in the little herbs and spices that are me, not to say there aren't things both nutritionally and pharmacologically that one can do in the final window to improve neuroconductivity for speed strength in, you know, short track sprinting, hammer throwing, you know, MMA, powerlifting. Yes. Androgens, strong DHT derivatives have that influence. Certain neurotransmitters within the brain, caffeine, all sorts of things have influence on that, but fatty acids are not among them. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I think it's a good little segue even then to discuss the potential considerations, I think, for individuals that are looking to use pharmacology to enhance athletic performance. A lot of people, again, just like nutrition, get lost in the weeds, right? They don't even know where to start because they don't understand the central family tree, then the side shoots off of different types of drugs, and then what we're dialing up versus what we're dialing down from a characteristic of athletic performance. So, Absolutely. Um, Before we start this topic, though, I want to mention that cycling, swimming, there is no space in those sports to take performance-enhancing drugs and compete legally. Mm. But within powerlifting, strongman, bodybuilding, there's there's two different categories. We can call it the natural or natty category and the enhanced category. Uh, Dean and I, or the team at Flex Success, do not condone people competing in natural sports or federations to take pharmacology. You're a fucking cheater. That's not cool. But, ever. Yeah, ever. <laughs> because there's currently rules uh, within bodybuilding, I'm not sure about powerlifting rules, saying that five years off performance-enhancing drugs, you can then compete in natural bodybuilding. And although they are the rules... We don't agree because you're always at an advantage. 
Absolutely. Well, I mean, um, I'm, I'm the drug guy through and through. And one, I will say this just so that it's out in the open. I, I don't really agree with you. I don't, I don't really care. For that's okay. I just, I, I, I sincerely don't. How, having said that, I do agree with you on the point that once people use drugs, they are permanently advantaged. Science deeply supports that. There, at, at any point when you come off drugs and you go, oh, no, I'm natural now. No, no you're not. You, yeah. you're, you're, you're not. You're lying. Yeah. Or you're too dumb to work it out on your own. Either uh-huh. way, you're wrong. I agree with you on that point yeah. entirely. I always knew your stance um, on on what we just spoke about, but I'm just giving Flex Success's stance because I sure. don't want to release this podcast and people think that, you know, as someone competing in a natural competition, they can get the edge by coming to us. And that's not yeah. no, no, absolutely. Yeah. Go to Brooklyn. They, will, they will get the edge. To be fair, get... you know, it's, it's just... It, I think a big part of what's wrong with the world, and we're, this isn't I think, in my opinion which may only have limited validity, but I do believe a big part of what's wrong with our world is people don't just talk about it. People just won't talk about this shit. They're just, what little good information there is, is just, oh, oh they, nobody wants to be that guy. So yeah. I, I, think, um, I think just t- you know, talking about it is going to help. Oh, yeah, for even, sure. Even though, you know, we've got the, the old Netflix doco Icarus that has come out since in the last couple of years that's highlighted the drastic implications for drug use in the Olympics. Um, you've now got the Russians banned. There's since been a German documentary released, I think, on Olympic weightlifting and talking about drugging up 12 and 13-year-old kids. And yet, even with them, the ignorance within the population of drug use in amateur sports and in Olympic sports, because it's an amateur sport, uh, is scarily low. Well, Mm -hmm. the ignorance is high, I should say, but the expectation of it happening is low. Let's talk about that shit then. What was your question, Dean? I forget. I've derailed us. Um, I was just talking about the considerations that people may need to think about before they start to implement pharmacology as an athlete. Let's stick in strength sports, because obviously, or strength and athletic performance sports, Mm -hmm. um, and, and what they need to think about before they actually go down that route. Or if they are doing it, how they can fix a shit route. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what you mean, like what, what considerations they should take. Um, I mean, drugs have a certain consequence, mm. if, if that's what you mean. I mean, obviously, there's the legal and ethical and financial consequence. I don't really put my mind to that. Strangely, at least I think it's strange, the biggest short-term hurdle most people fight is, comically, that drugs work. I, I, I know it sounds absurd, but drugs work. Take, take anybody off the street, feed them you know, a, a variety of anabolic steroids, certain things will happen. They will get very much stronger. They will get very much bigger. Bigger. That's the key thing. Ask any medical professional the world around what's the number one indicator of mortality and even potential health problems like orthopedic problems. It's body weight. You take Joe average, give them steroids, they become Joe above average. Their body weight goes up. Their tendons, their joints, their feet, their name of thing is now under more stress. By the way, that also applies to heart, lungs, kidneys. Mm -hmm. All their stuff is under more stress. Plus, they're stronger. So now they can lift more weights and apply more stresses. So the number one problem short-term that drug users face is drugs work. They're probably not prepared metabolically, cardiovascularly, from a fitness point of view, from a connective tissue point of view. So just, it's, it's kind of the, again, the analogy I use is, it's one thing if you want to learn to get a, get a motorcycle license. That's a sensible, reasonable thing to want to do. 
but it's a really bad idea to do it on the fastest, most high-performance motorcycle that you can buy. You start with the little, little scooter. You get some lessons. You learn the laws. You learn how to not fall off the thing and get fucking run over. And then every year you upgrade. That's really where drug use should progress. But it, it doesn't seem to be that way. It's every Yahoo jumping on you know, a Japanese rice rocket and the first turn they're mashed against the fucking wall. And everybody's like, oh, God, it's so surprising. No, no, it's not. No, no, it's not. That's, I could have predicted that from here. It's not surprising. What's well, it? So I suppose like one of some of the most common things people do is they go and jump on a whole bunch of tests. Right. Small dog, settle your ass down. I know. You're so welcome know. to join the podcast. I would love dogs on this I'm getting, I'm getting flashbacks here for the viewers who have ever listened to a Lyle McDonald podcast. Is always his pitfall in the background running around like, and then you can always hear him like, Licking like all of the water up and that. <laughs> and it's the same sometimes with broads. Uh, all right. Um, anyway, wait, wait. so you're talking about you know t- testosterone. I, uh, first of all, my initial remarks were just in general. Mm. You know, pharmacology is good. Drugs work. You know, but I always say it's good. I mean, pharmacology is um, an effective modality. It works, much like antibiotics. You take them, it kills the the bacteria. It's just a very effective genre of pharmacology. Now, you specifically said testosterone. Here's the problem. Um, People just lack really basic acumen. For instance, I joke every time I do a live seminar, I think I started it with the one I did with you guys, is if you even have a remote interest in like, you know, drugs and that sort of thing, the first thing you should do is buy a fucking dictionary and look these words up. And the first thing I would start with is say, testosterone. And the first thing you will find is that it is not an anabolic steroid. It is a steroid by definition. By the way, look that the fuck up. You'll find a given definition which testosterone fits. It is anabolic. Look that up. You'll find that it does that. Okay. Anabolic means that which makes larger, that which gains size. It is the the Latin word for building. Anabolism is the Latin word for building. Testosterone is a bifurcated word. Testy. Well, we we know where they live. That's the manly bits with the fur on them. Okay. Testy. Orone. Rone is representative of, um, in chemistry, of having um, a given chemistry structure associated with steroids. So it's a steroid manufactured in the testy. Literally, the definition of what it is. Medically, it falls under the heading of something called an androgen. Another cool word to look up. You look that up, and you find that it is that which makes male. So it is a hormone with some anabolic capacity, that which makes male, manufactured in the testes. Okay? Notice I didn't say that which makes muscular, that which makes big bench presses, that which makes great football players. I didn't say any of that shit. I said that which makes fucking male. Yes, you could be sexist dick and say, well, males do those things better. Okay, fine. But it's not an anabolic steroid. Okay. Now, grab that same dictionary, look up anabolic steroid, you will find, and this is important, its definition is a synthetic derivative of testosterone. So it's not testosterone, so testosterone is diluted. It is a synthetic derivative. Now, a lot of complicated nomenclature for this purpose. Testosterone is the hormone that males normally and naturally make. 
post-puberty, keyword here, if you look at a prepubescent female and a prepubescent male, really not looking at a lot of differences. Flat chested, no hair on the parts, no major musculature differences, other than maybe a bit of height, they are very, very similar creatures, okay? Once puberty comes on, that which makes male, and in, coincidentally, estrogen, that which makes female, take their tours down different routes entirely, changing the morphology. Men become more masculine, facial hair, changes in morphology, deepening of voice, some muscle, changes in behavior, and then all the stuff that happens, wonderful stuff that happens to women along the way. My point is that testosterone is the, I don't like this word, but the natural or native hormone, and it behaves naturally. One of the natural consequences is that your body breaks it down into an appropriate amount of estrogen and an appropriate amount of DHT, which have their own jobs and purposes and what have you. The problem is if you raise testosterone up to, say, an inappropriate level, Lo and behold, you get inappropriate amounts of estrogen and DHT. So now in a quest to get something other than masculine, muscular, good at football, whatever, instead you wind up with budding titties and a prostate the size of a cricket ball. Not ideal. Not exactly the outcome you're looking for. No. Unless it is. Is anyone after that? Unless it is, which is, you know, there's a market for that. It's, <laughs> you know, yeah. But it's, it's, it's niche. It's smaller. It's a smaller market. <laughs> so this is where that whole anabolic steroid synthetic derivative thereof thing comes in. Very, very clever organic chemists in the 1940s and 50s came in, said, hey, testosterone's awesome and it has a load of characteristics we love, but some we don't. And so they started using their chemistry tools to twist, tweak, and turn the molecule in such a way that has less propensity to move over to estrogen, less propensity to convert to DHT, possibly more or less or different anabolic properties. So essentially, testosterone is the parent of all of this, but the children are far more evolved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're the workers that you essentially send off to dial up the particular thing you want to improve on. 100%. And then we don't have time for it here, but if you follow my material or ever get to see me live, I'll go through this grand, you know, compli semi-complicated family tree explaining how testosterone basically had three siblings and those siblings all live in a family tree. They all have similar characteristics, much like a family tree. You know, if the patriarch is redheaded, chances are everybody's got a little bit of it kind of thing. So you can begin to match general properties with drug family and then begin to shop out what you're trying to do more effectively. Yeah. Actually, listeners, if you want to learn about um, anabolics, I would definitely recommend checking out Broderick's stuff because I don't know many people that break it down uh, as easily to understand as he does, mm. uh, starting from scratch and just helping you ask the right questions. Not like, what should I take and how much? Like there's far more to look at, far more to consider. Um, so yeah, at the very end, Broderick will, will get you to tell our listeners where you can, where they can find you. But even, uh, we recorded the evil genius down under tour, which I think you're selling on your website. Um, and it was a full day of awesomeness. It wasn't all on drugs. There was some training and nutrition. And oh, absolutely. No, that was definitely training, but it was kind of, um, 
it's kind of fun. It was being that it was the very first, it was very raw and it was very um, kind of almost what we're doing now. It was, we, we brought up a training concept, tackled it. And then I immediately went in and this is how I would fix it with drugs. So it was kind of you know, raw biology. This is the problem. This is what we're doing in the gym. But now if we were really cool, we could do this, you know, mm-hmm. it was kind of, you, you know, you buy the car, you learn to race, then you figure out what high performance parts you can bolt onto it and go even faster. Yeah. That was kind of the way I look at it. And that is quite literally the way I look at this. You know, again, mm. like that dialing out until you find, oh, lo and behold, they're human. That's really how it works. You start with the human, then you move to the athlete, then you move to the power lifter, then you go, all right, now I have some power lifting parts I can bolt on. Yeah, 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 totally. Check it out, guys. It's honestly hours of hours yeah. of good stuff. Yeah, um, yeah you, you took that exactly where I wanted you to go with it because I think what I was trying to get out here is that most people do look at the use of their pharmacology either in a sense that their friend told them to take it because their friend told them to take it and their friend told them, told them to take it. Nobody really understands why and what they're trying to dial up from a performance uh, point of view. And that family tree concept that people can learn about from your material will allow them to sort of consider like why maybe more test isn't best and why maybe you could use some of the sort of nuanced, higher designed based sort of derivatives thereof to get the results you're after. And if you have the capacity to ask the questions because you actually know the information, then you can make more educated decisions around it as opposed to just following suit. You, you'll, you'll like this, Dean, because I, I, you know, from the conversations we've had, I, I know a little, little bit of how your thinking works. This is what I've boiled it down to. I really kind of have my drug selection speech down to this. If you, as a trainer, wrote a workout for anyone, you wrote a training package, and they printed it out, and they said, Dean, well, why am I doing this? Why, why is this one on here? And it's, you know, whatever. It's hack squats or leg press or whatever. You would reflexively have an answer. You're doing hack squats because you have a low back injury or you have long femurs or, you know, we did high bar squats last cycle. You would have a very reasonable, logical answer. The exact same thing should apply when you come to me with your drug package. You should say, why am I taking this drug right here? And I should immediately be able to say, well, because you're trying to elevate protein expression or we're trying to drive aggression or it should be just like an item in a workout. It's there for a reason to accomplish a specific goal. If it's just vaguely stuck in there because your gym has one, bad idea. Mm. Mm. I'm equally sad as I am pissed off to hear about um, the, the drug protocols that some people are given by their coaches that absolutely fuck them up. I'm talking mm. females as well, which mm. obviously have other repercussions, like not being able to have a fucking child. Um, and oh, just the psychological damage that comes with some of the changes that they didn't intend. Like, well, now I'm stuck with this fucking jaw and mm-hmm. little dick. So little furry ones. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and it's, it's really such a shame. And if people just kind of open their minds to where they could be getting the right information, then I think there'd be far less damage done. Mm. Probably so. Yeah. Yeah, oh, shit, man, it's even worse. That's one of those. If you're a female, the drug you take is Edivar. Yeah, full stop. Universally, that's it. Sorry. <laughs> that's the only answer. I'm, I'm, I'm well aware. <laughs> Jesus, fuck. Um, we've got a couple of questions I think that we may get into, so at least they're a little bit specific to anybody wanting those. Uh, I might sure, not actually sure. read the name of the person no. asking because I don't know if, yeah, but anyways. So someone on Instagram um, asks, is there a substitute for growth hormone if you don't have access to the real stuff? Um, well, yes. Now, first of all, let me connotate that with nothing works like drugs. There's just, you know, nothing works like 
you know, there's no replacement for steroids. There's no replacement for, you know, painkillers, whatever. Nothing works like a drug. However, growth hormone is an interesting one in that even when you have it pharmacologically, it's one thing you get growth hormone into your body. It's an entirely different thing to actually get it to do what you intended it to do. That is, growth hormone is a very behaviorally mediated hormone. Having growth hormone available in your bloodstream is step one, but it's absolutely not the most important step. The having necessary carbohydrates, having necessary insulin, having necessarily uh, binding proteins, certain actions within the actual you know, inflammation and actions at the target tissue. My point is this, growth hormone is a very multifactorial concept. And if you have all of the behaviors in play, i.e. good training, good lifestyle, good nutrition, training volumes appropriate to your momentary training cycle, all that stuff in play, basically what you guys do for a living. If you have all of that in play, even a poultry endogenous, dare I say natural volume of growth hormone can be very much optimized and work far better than the average person would even suspect. So right out of the gate, one of the best replacements for growth hormone is just doing all the other stuff correctly. Get that in place. And by the way, that's not a song. That's a complicated thing. But get all that in play. Then you can supplement your endogenous growth hormone release, both with timing and application of drugs. Insulin, MK677, uh, ipamorelin. I would avoid the GHRPs, although they're popular, but I would personally avoid them. Uh, I think that ipamorelin or hexalarin are slightly superior drugs. By the way, they are actually drugs. Don't let anybody lie to you and say, they're all oh, they're just peptides or whatever. It's a drug. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, yes. Um, lifestyle, behavioral stuff, structural stuff in place first. Then secondly, dietarily. Then tertiarily, drugs like MK677 or ipamorelin. It's not a very sexy recommendation to get your lifestyle in check, though, is it? No. <laughs> it never is. It never is, but it's always the best first answer. Mm. Always. Yeah. We would agree. We would agree. Give you, give you a weird little, give you a weird little um, anecdote on that that probably everyone, you two and everyone know, listening will kind of wink and go, yeah, I've heard of that. How many times do you hear about the lazy bum, 17-year-old kids sleeping till fucking noon in their parents' garage, and they finally like join the military or join the police force or they do something pretty radical and they're suddenly immersed into a regimented daily lifestyle. They're immersed into a regimented dietary plan. They're regimented into regular exercise. And lo and behold, not only do they get their life together, but they grow an inch. How many times have you heard that? Hmm. What do you think did that? Pretty much only a couple of things make a fucking person grow. It's called growth hormone. It has the, it's, it's got the same word in there. It's like, they're like connected. It's like, it's like one leads to the other. And <laughs> one of the things that drives growth hormone is lifestyle mm-hmm. and exercise. And lo and behold, there, there it is. Um, just a wonderful example of just how that happens. Yeah. Not a lot of anabolism in sleeping all day. <laughs> and mm. that's about it. No, at the appropriate times, but. <laughs> Funnily yeah. enough, the lack thereof would also impact it. So, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a preference over any of those particular ones that you just mentioned there, the hexarellin, ipamorelin, uh, MK? Um, 
Comically, I do, but not for the reason you think. Uh, for the actual growth hormone behavioral aspect, I really like uh, Ipemorelin best. However, it's going to sound like I'm talking out of the other side of my mouth, but I'll explain. I actually find overall more efficacy from MK677, but I really sincerely believe that that efficacy is because it drives appetite. People fucking just eat more. I don't know if it really does anything for growth hormone, but it does wonders for calorie consumption, and strangely, that does wonders for growth and even potentially growth hormone release. But mm. I think it's driven more through eating behavior than it is actual, uh, you know, pituitary access behavior. Yeah, I think you've uh, spoken about this too before with people chasing, uh, like, say, highly retentive drugs that give them that big. Big monstrous look. They're full of water. They're massive. I think MK probably has a similar psychological buy-in too. Versus the Ipamorelin, it's not going to shift much uh, actual body weight. No. But rather it's working on the inside. So it's an interesting little nuance, I think, even in the pharmacological world that you deal with, is that you also still have to play to people's psychological behaviors in order to drive anabolism. Because if they're not committed to the program, it doesn't matter which drug you give them, right? 100%. And, and also it comes down to, you know, kind of like, again, what you do with building that workout, you have to play very hard to the diagnostics. You literally really need to understand what it is they're trying to do. Like, what is the thing that's most going to help this person? And sometimes it is just retention. Just, hey, we'll take this little skinny guy, we'll put 20 pounds, we'll put 10 kilos on him, he'll feel better emotionally behaviorally he'll buy in he'll do the next step the next step the next step so sometimes the wrong answer is the right answer because it solves a bigger problem mm -hmm. mm. i love that yeah it's sure cool. what i hope the listeners are getting uh out of this is that you can't just jump straight to okay i want to get big I haven't really started training yet but i'll start with drugs get your shit together train for a bit, learn to ride the scooter, which was the analogy brother yep. gave, get your freaking sleep and your food and your lifestyle down pat. Then you can think about uh, what we like to call supplements, which really are drugs. Yes. You know, you can think about supplementing your training schedule, your lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. Don't start here. Yeah. Yeah. Or don't even end here if you don't want to. It's not the road that I'm taking and, and that's cool. Yep. But uh, don't start here. Yep. Yeah. Did you want to read some of the questions that you got on your um, Mine were mainly designed to poke you, so I'm not going to actually hit them because it's like funny ones. Like people asking me, like, what milk do you like in your coffee, brother? <laughs> like, come on now. Like, <laughs> if they could see you on film, I'll just say that they're giving you, they, you're giving them the finger. The proverbial finger's been given. I, um, about once a month, I ceremonially will have a cappuccino just just, just like because I think it's an homage to some greater coffee god or something, and um, I, I actually rather spitefully, I'll get them to make it with uh, like full on full fat cream. Oh right! Wow! Yeah, just kind of spiteful. Just you know, I don't really think it's necessary or in any way beneficial to my dietary plan. I just, it's just spiteful. If I'm gonna go to the fucking trouble of adulterating my wonderful creamy espresso we're, we're gonna do it we're gonna just fuck it right up <laughs> how much coffee do you need to offset the fat in that though to make it not taste like cream i don't know four or five shots whatever you know whatever's required <laughs> oh my god yeah that's impressive yeah that's um, impressive i don't know if i could do cream and coffee i've been going man you'd love this setup in my you, you almost need to come and hang out hang out at our house again my setup now i've got a i've got a mocha pot i've got an aeropress i've got a chemex I've got a, an electric an electric burger under now too, so you don't have to do the old 
<laughs> and grind. I've still got the Nespresso machine. I've got a cold drip, even though you don't like cold coffee. And I still drink Makona. The, the, the people listening really will just think I'm just yammering on about nothing. But literally, I, I risked life and limb with these giant, scary, uh, fucking radioactive fruit bats um, at, at Dean and Lizzie's house. Oh, my God. They, they, they live in this – they lived – I think they moved since. But they live in this very wonderful but – I don't want to say insubstantial because that doesn't know justice, but <laughs> it was it was a, it was a home that was you know, it was meant for fair weather, and it's not like you know cement block and insulated. And so at three in the morning, you know, grinding a coffee bean sounds like you're running a jackhammer. You know? <laughs> and I don't sleep; they do. So at three o'clock in the morning, I'm tiptoeing with the coffee bag of coffee in my mouth and the coffee grinder, and I'm like way <laughs> out at the edge of their property under this scary ass fruit tree with these monsters in it. And I'm out there grinding like an idiot, and then I come in, you know, in the dark, and I'm trying to make coffee. <laughs> oh well, I, I, that's so nice that you did that. But I'm such a heavy sleeper. You totally could have grounded in my ear, and I wouldn't have woken up. Liz wouldn't have even known there was bats in front of that. They were there were bats in that front tree. I feel like but, you're really talking up the bats here, though. They weren't that big. Well, they're normally in the <laughs> No, no, they definitely were that big. They were definitely this. Uh, any any creature that can fly that's larger than a house cat is concerning. I'm just, <laughs> I just think that that's a fucking rule the world around. Like, you know, dick and balls look so much like your, like not yours specifically, <laughs> but like <laughs> a, a normal human male's dick and balls. You need to Google image that shit, guys. It is weird. Yeah, they're, they're just there. Because I in I was in Argentina and I, they had this like bat enclosure and they were just hanging upside down, like right in front of you in the daylight. And all I could do that. are doing that? <laughs> well, you don't really see them in the daytime here. They're kind of... Well, you know, no, because we were asleep at 3 and Broderick's at Lake. That's the difference. <laughs> but anyways, Google a bat, a bat stick and balls. You will laugh. There's, um, the giant, you know, flying house cats, you know, or foxes or wolves or whatever the fuck they are. And then on the other side of the yard over by the, the double door deal, there was a, a spider roughly the size of a deck of cards. Yeah. You know, so I was pretty much just kind of like, you know, which... which 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 creature do I want to slay? Who do I want to fight? You know, Did just you come across a like an idiot. <laughs> was there any snakes? Probably, but luckily it was dark enough that I didn't see them. So they were just right. you know. Fucking... We, we've had this giant like three meter snake in our backyard a few times. Yeah, we had had him once. A uh, big big python randomly it shouldn't be in the Gold Coast where it was, but it was massive. It was in our front 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 yard. But we don't have guns. Yes, <laughs> it's true. It's a different type of python. <laughs> yes. yeah. Uh, that's funny indeed um okay so do we we don't want to poke broderick with more milk questions no okay we i feel (laughs) like there's so much to say but uh maybe we'll get you on another day and we'll we'll unravel a bit more Mm. come back anytime you like great yeah i have a a little curly question that i think would be good for another one about uh the potential uh first cycle not being mediated via testosterone use though potentially using another supplement but Absolutely. i think we might save it for later but it's definitely a possibility and we'll um we maybe we'll just uh not not only do i think it's a thing i think it's actually a good idea mm. okay all right so should we leave that as a teaser for, yeah that's for what i next? wanted to say my my inability to speak was teaser was the word that i wanted <laughs> sprinkle a little teaser for the next time all right teaser. 
We're going to move on to some fun questions, Mr. But, B. Um, first of all, Brods, we always ask uh, our guests at the end if they've recently read, watched, or seen something they think is worth value and worth sharing to those that are listening. So in the last week or so, is there anything that you've listened to, watched, or whatnot that you think is worth sharing? Maybe something you've injected. <laughs> <laughs> anything worth sharing? Um, something new and interesting recently. Um... Honestly, I'm such a I'm such a bad guest when it comes to shit like that. I live in a fucking bubble. I do, I actually yes, actually yes. Um, there's a pro bodybuilder out of Canada. I'm gonna butcher his name because I don't speak badly Canadian Frenchy stuff. Duset, Ah, Greg Duset, yeah, with my yeah. hair. He, he recently did a debate, if you dare call it that, with Mike Isretel. <laughs> um, <laughs> Honestly, as bad as it was, your, your, your listeners would actually gain something from it because it's a really good illustration of somebody who just knows nothing but did everything, and then the other side of the coin, somebody who knows everything but doesn't really do much else. Like he just, you know, Mike basically assumes he's right, and most of the time he is, and then just stays that path, whereas the other guy just kind of just, just did whatever. And comically, you know, they arrive at the final end of everything. They kind of arrive not nearly as far apart as you might imagine, and probably not as far apart as they imagined. And it's, mm. it's rather comical. If you go into it with a, well, I'll get some entertainment and maybe I'll hear a little bit about training, and you watch it from that point, it, it's actually worth your trouble. What's it called? So it is, I think it's literally the Greg Doucette, Greg, Greg Doucette versus Mike Isretel. Uh, the de volume debate is what it is. Volume debate, yeah. Volume and intensity debate. And it is actually yep. quite comical. And you're right, exactly. They do kind of go full circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things where they, they start out just assuming that they're polar opposites and then they kind of come around to the donut of life and they're like, well, we're not as far apart as we said, but I'm still right and you're still wrong and the other one's, you know, feels the same way. All right. Mm. Agree <laughs> to disagree in then. Cool. Um, if you had to die tomorrow, how would you do it? And why would you choose that? Um, I would probably light myself on fire as I'm running into the Capitol building. <laughs> All right. That's a first. Why? Um, if for nothing else, just sheer and total spite, um, just kind of, that's how I feel about things. And if I'm really lucky, like maybe the smell would get in the upholstery and just like really fuck the place up for years to come. <laughs> Not bad. Tell me what you really think. <laughs> uh, That's honest. What is something people don't know about you? <sighs> Shit, I don't know. Um, well, I fuck. I don't know what it was. Some people don't know about me. I don't. I don't even know. Anything about know what people know about me? I don't even. Doesn't so, drink I'm alcohol. So dast, I don't even know that. Oh yeah, you don't drink. You alcohol? don't drink alcohol. I don't drink alcohol. Oh, actually, I do know something. You're probably the only people I've ever really said this to. Um, despite all outward appearances, um, before I moved into strength training, I was actually a budding artist. I actually had uh, very, very high-level artistic chops. Mm. What sort of art were you into? Um, actually, almost literally all, but I, I had a very um, you know, famous for its moment uh, Indian ink quill painting. I, uh, I drew a feather. It was actually a little conceptual piece. 
classic me, I'll tell you the story real quick because it's just classic me. It explains. I was fourth grade. I was very young. Very, what, are, what are you in the fourth grade? Like eight? Maybe. Yeah. I'm going to go with 10, maybe yeah, something nine. Like something like that. I was, I was, I think I was single digit age and I was already being groomed as this artist. And we went to this place called the Franklin Institute. It was a famous like science museum in Philadelphia. And it was all one kid from every state in the country. And we were supposed to go there with something pre-prepared to do some sort of art live in front of this audience. And of course I didn't prepare. I was just classic me, just being a dick and pompous and you know, well, whatever. You know. Literally in the parking lot of the fucking place, I get out of the car and there was a feather laying in a mud puddle. And I picked up the feather just like kind of reflexively and I'm just clutching it like a, almost like an idiot child, you know, just kind of like a waterhead, just walking in with this fucking feather in my hand. <laughs> and when I realized like, oh shit, I'm actually under the gun. I have to do something. I suddenly came up with a clever idea that I would take the feather, put an ink tip on it, and I would draw the feather with the feather. <laughs> That's cool. And, and, and so that piece of art, both because it was pretty good, you know, for the age and for what I did, and because it was actually a conceptual piece in the Metropolitan Museum in New York, the art, Metropolitan Art Museum, for a month, my picture with the feather was in a case displayed as a budding American artist. I <laughs> did not know that about you. That That's was good. a good one. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know uh, Dr. Gabby Fonduro, who works with Mike Isretel? Uh, yeah. we'll, just, we'll just pretend you're not in. She, her something you might not know about me was that she was in music before she became no no she studied um uh, uh, music therapy yeah music therapy and we're like damn that's an interesting so there's one. so many creatives in science i just mm. wouldn't have picked it interesting choice yeah um, do you paint anymore by the way no i don't and that's in itself is kind of a fucked up story but no i do not um however both of my daughters who both who you met i believe uh both, no, both no yeah we haven't had the chance no, i think we met him on video that's it yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, both of my daughters have the gene. They both very, very artistic. I've paintings all over the house uh, that oh, they've awesome. done, and yeah. Do you just pretend that they're all really good, even if some really suck? And you're no, no, like, oh. they actually are good. I'm, <laughs> I, again, I have just something that your re listeners probably do know. Um, I got some pretty sweeping personality defects. So if you put something in front of me, this shit, I just. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's not good. Yeah, that's good. Well, honesty yeah. is the best policy. So. <laughs> 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 Okay. Uh, then we got one more question and then we got the, the last round. So the last question was, what is, what is something you write about, but is very controversial? I have, fuck, I mean, that taking I don't know, drugs probably, as a natural athlete. Yeah, there's just, just the whole taking drugs thing. Like I sincerely believe that, um, this, you know, not, not that everybody needs to take drugs, not that drugs are amazing, but the stigma associated with sports performance drugs is wrong. It's just like the stigma associated with anything. You know, there are people that, you know, with, with cancer or with all sorts of things that cannabis literally made their final days on earth much more bearable. Mm -hmm. We have exactly the same thing with, with anabolic steroids. And yet medical professionals can't apply them because of this horrible, you know, evil athlete stigma um, so I think that, you know, I'm right in the fact that we need to talk about this shit. We need to ferret out what it can do, what it can't do, and how we can use it as safely as possible. So. Yeah, start the conversation. I think you're doing a really great job at that, by the way. 
All right. Roderick, we have a fun game in this household now called Shitty Choices. Okay. And it is a game of would you rathers. Are you familiar with the game? Fair enough. Now, I've just chosen two at random. I'm going to give Liz the opportunity. I'm I'm sure they were random. No, these ones actually were. I'm completely (laughs) confident that they're random. I'm going to let her either choose those or I'm going to let her go for an actual random one live so that you can see the shoot and just ask you. (laughs) Legitimately, as he was talking, you pulled them out. But just on camera, I'm going to pull one out. Tilt. Tilt. All right, Roderick. Could be good. It could be bad. Oh. Would you rather pee shards of glass or cry shards of crystal? Um, definitely, de- uh, definitely cry. Definitely the crying. Your poor. Uh, and, and I and I and I, I say this from a certain amount of experience. Um, <laughs> I, I I I actually in my teens when people don't do that, I, I passed a kidney stone and it was um it was fucking horrific. That's and not- yeah, I would have I would have much rather had somebody, you know, jabbing me in the eye with a cactus or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Crush out the Oh, God damn, there you go. The other two Dean picked were to do with, like, penises and poo. They were really funny, but... They were just by chance. The, the idea of you uh, passing glass out your pee hole. Yeah, kidney stones sound like a me. bad time. Nah. I've, I've had what I... Th- it's funny that... Not, it's not funny. It's horrible. But the two... <laughs> I have been... I've been, you know, hit by a car. I've been stabbed. I've been bitten. I've had some pretty significant physical trauma. And the two most horrific things I've ever experienced in my life. And by the way, I was talking to somebody that broke every bone in both of their feet at once. <laughs> and I can still say that the two most horrific things that have ever happened to me were passing a kidney stone and pancreatitis. Mm. Pancreatitis hurt more. It, it hurts so much that... Previous to that, if you had tried to tell me that pain could go that far, I would have scoffed. I would have, you're, you're making that up. Like, that's fucking fat. You're, you're just, that's sensational bullshit. There's no way. Oh, yeah. Pain can hurt so much that it becomes a different thing. Oof. It becomes a, a new, exciting realm. It's, yes. Which is yes. why I'm choosing not to have children. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn. Yep. Yeah. I would, I would definitely pass on those two if you mm. can. Yeah, I'll try not to pass a kidney stone out my dick. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't ask me because everyone I ever tell that says I passed a kidney stone, they're like, is that because of all the coffee you drink? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's At possible. 17, probably not. Yeah. I was already well on my way. I was a professional by 17. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. We don't know. Uh, okay, Broderick, where can people find you if they wanted to know more? You know what? Fuck them. I don't want them to talk to me. I'm done. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, <laughs> you are um, a busy man. I, I am, and I'm, I'm even less uh, touchy-feely. But um, literally, my shirt, everything about, um, about the one good bit of business advice I got in this world was branding. Everything, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all my shit is Team Evil GSP. In the case of the website, it's .com. And, you know, it's at and all the other modalities. So... Anywhere that I am, I am there via Team Evil GSP. The members website, which we talked about briefly, is the, go to teamevilgsp.com. There's a portal there to sign up and even to preview some of the material. And uh, I have some free material on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, et cetera, that people could uh, kind of you know, sniff out, see if they're interested. And honestly, that's about it. Cool, but no tie kickers to inquire, of course. Yeah, no. High-level athletes for consultations. And uh, Broderick doesn't do but the, the membership yeah. portal is unreal. 
Uh, there's mm -hmm. just an abundance of information on there. A little bit more, I suppose, specifics to it too. Some applications, some old materials, some new materials, some material that's ever evolving. And it's only yeah. 10 US a month? Yeah, 9.99 US a month, yeah. Yeah, so it's super value. cheap. You know. Value, value, yeah. All right, um, until next time, Broderick, thanks for coming on. Thanks very much, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's a good Bye. time.